Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, folks, and welcome to The Hang. In this episode of The Hang, we're hanging with my great friend, James Brown III. Now, I've known James for quite a few years now, but I wasn't quite prepared to be so blown away by his accolades when I did some research and a bit of digging in his background before we sat down earlier this summer to record this podcast. James is truly an inspiring person. James has a list of accomplishments that just go on and on. It's truly inspiring to see what hard work, dedication, and perseverance does. I can't wait for you guys to get to know James a little better from this podcast. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, James Brown III. James Brown III, hello, welcome to The Hang. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How fun is this? <laughs> yeah, I hope so. You know, I was actually very nervous. So, you know, when you, you're friends for so long and then you you do this podcast and it's always like in my head, I'm thinking, oh, just hang, it'd be simple. But then you always, I get nervous. I think, what are, what are we going to talk about? And I thought, well, let me, let me just look at his bio, you know, because as mates, you take that for granted. When would you ever do that? I made the mistake of, of actually reading your bio and I was like, holy shit, this guy you're a genius. You've done so much. And I couldn't believe it. I said to Mandy afterwards, I said, I've, how can we, I guess I've known this about him. Cause the reason I want to, well, the reason we're mates, but as well as I want you on a, on a platform like this, I find you incredibly uh, prolific, diverse, inspiring. You got this Midas touch. Now I know why. So we need to unpack. I said, we're going to unpack your bio. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh yes well let's try <laughs> first of all how are you you're you're held up you're, you're you flew out to miami once i found this amazing too in this story i tell people literally the moment there was a sniff of shutdown i text you right away where are you i'm on a plane to miami <laughs> it's like right away i'm out <laughs> yeah no listen i was walking to my theater on march 12th and I had just read that the NBA was was shutting down their season. And I'm thinking in my head, well, it will be awfully irresponsible mm-hmm. if Broadway is not directly behind them in shutting down Broadway. I was like, no, they will. They will. So I go on United Airlines and I put, <laughs> I put a, a flight in my basket <laughs> because I'm like, this is happening yeah. and I will not be in New York City stuck for a, you know, and then it was we thought it was gonna be a month. It's like if I'm gonna be here for a month in the end at the end of winter, I'm gonna be in Miami at my place, in Miami. So the second they announced it at rehearsal, you know, like an hour later, I press you know pay on <laughs> on the flight, and I was down here. <laughs> I found that hilarious. I'm I'm like, where are you? And you sent me a selfie on the plane. I'm like, how did you know? <laughs> Who do you know? What's your inside track? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So how's it been out in Miami all this time? It's been fantastic. I'm, I'm so happy that I came, um, you know, having nice weather. I put myself on a schedule um, and, you know, I'm writing from 12 to 5 every day, hitting the gym, um, you know, enjoying the weather, enjoying family time, which has been really great. My dad and my little brother have been down here with me. Um, so we've had amazing time together that we never would have had otherwise, um, you know, so it's been awesome <laughs> despite this pandemic. That's been beautiful to watch on your Instagram. You're working out with your dad on the balcony at times with your brother. Yeah. He doesn't join in all the time, does he? Well, no, because actually my brother, he's so he's going into his senior year of high school. He plays football and basketball. So actually, four days a week, he has two a days. So he has a he has a trainer in the morning. Um, his name is Terry Terry Kirby. He used to play for the NFL. He trains him in the gym. And then an hour later, he goes and has like um wh- he has a wide receiver coach who's taking him through wide receiver drills um uh he used to be antonio brown's wide receiver coach so he's like <laughs> so he's he's good <laughs> like he you know he has to be on like a, another thing because he's he's training for football and, and um you know so how old's your brother six 17 he just turned 17 last month yeah. oh wow yeah. he's a big yeah. boy man yeah he's six four 
200 and like almost 15 pounds, 212, something like that. Holy yeah. crap. I, okay. So the pictures didn't, I knew yeah. that, I knew he was a big boy, but not that big. So <laughs> yeah. he's certainly yeah, being yeah, yeah. prospected, right? Yeah. So um, it's, it's looking like he'll probably end up at University of Maryland College Park playing, playing football there. Um, but, you know, it, that's the tricky thing about what's happening. So at his school up in Maryland, they don't plan on playing football or basketball this, this last year. So his senior year is kind of jacked up a bit. Um, so my dad and, you know, they've been kind of thinking about maybe mm-hmm. transferring him to a school down here in Florida, you know, if they potentially play down here. Um, so then he can get some good tape. Um but, you know, schools know that this is happening, so they're figuring out combines and figuring out ways to really kind of um, rate the and recruit the kids despite not having, you know, a season this year. So so combines, are they thinking of, like, putting all in one area, like a camp with facilities, nobody in or out? Yeah. Yeah, so every school is kind of doing them differently, but um, there's one that's – one kind of national one sponsored by Dick's Sporting Goods where they'll do it in person, but you also – they posted what the combine is, what the, what each skill is. And you can send in tape of you doing, of you doing it all. Yeah. So, so, you know, wow. (laughs) Let's run in the family. Cause let's go back to you now, James Brown, the third. Okay. Who's first and second (laughs) granddad. And (laughs) I'm not really, yeah, granddad and, and dad, not related to James. I wasn't going to go there. As, you, you probably get that all the time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Um, so you, you were born in Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. Well, how do you say? It? Well, people from Baltimore. People from Baltimore say Baltimore, as Baltimore. if there's a, a D. <laughs> I don't claim. I don't claim Merlin as people from Merlin would say, instead of Maryland. I don't claim Merlin, even though my family are definitely from the Maryland, uh, D.C. area. My, my dad was is from D.C. My mom's from Baltimore. Um, but yeah, I was raised definitely like a, uh, like the only black surfer beach boy in Orange County. <laughs> you can surf? I can surf. <laughs> ah, that's hard, right? I, I, I never tried it, but I can't imagine I'm going to be up on that board at all, let alone more than two two seconds. <laughs> You'd get there eventually. The first couple of times is, t- is tricky. Um, if you learned how to longboard before you learned how to shortboard, you might get up a little bit faster. Um, but it's just timing and coordination. You'd get there. Yeah, practice. <laughs> yeah, practice. Well, so yeah. now we can add uh, Star Surfer to this. I don't know if we can call it Star Surfer. <laughs> the seeds of your diversity were like planted right from a young age because you said your parents encouraged any of your passions. And according to your bio, this blew my mind, man. And like years I've known you, we have talked about a lot of things whenever this <laughs> psychology, track and field, <laughs> drama, football, gymnastics, dance, music, TV, film, religious studies, and fashion. Yeah, it's true. And I can honestly say that, like, that list is very true. Um, yeah. I, I, well, I know it is because I've seen, I've seen the, the results of yeah. all this yeah. in almost anything from the way we talk, the way your outlook is on life. The, I've seen you, your athleticism. Remember <laughs> when we did that? The story was about me and I think maybe my workouts <laughs> for Anastasia and we were at the Chelsea gym. Oh, yeah. And oh they, part yeah, of yeah, the yeah. workout, for some reason, we were doing sprints or something. I said, okay, camera's rolling. We sprinted. I, You became so small so quickly <laughs> in my field of vision because that's how fast you were. <laughs> and then when I caught up to you, I said, listen, I'm not asking you to let me win, but just make me look somewhat better. <laughs> There's no gold medals here, son. Um, my I started pulling punches. Yeah, it, it was the right thing to do. <laughs> and, and you ran so beautifully, like this picture-perfect track and field star. Yeah. And you are like, oh, I did track. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you have. Let's bring it down a notch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's hard. It's hard, you know, like I ran through college. I ran, you know, at a at a really high level. And so, you know, some things you can't, you can't like get rid of. <laughs> Nor should you. Yeah. To this day, every time I get on those air runners, I have your coaching in my head. You teach me how to run, how to bring up my knees, where to uh, pull the power from and flick it back. It's, I still don't have it down, but we're getting there. 
it's yeah it's a it's it's all technique and just takes like we said it's like surfing if i can just can i curse i'm sorry it's all it takes practice so all these <laughs> uh things you were into these passions you were showing you were showing all this from a young age like through your teens earlier after yeah i mean i think so you know it's <clears throat> the for me growing up especially through high school i I really made my, like, I was a perfectionist and, um, it to, to like, um, to my detriment almost like, I, I, I'm not saying that in like a boastful way. I'm kind of saying it in a way of like, it wasn't great so much for my, my mental stability. Um, but because I knew the path for me, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted, um, you know, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Don't ever post this, but Dr. Ben Carson was like my idol he's an absolute nut job like looking back on that and you know but he was you want me to cut that up no <laughs> i'm oh. just being silly um <laughs> all right no i think actually i think it's important for people to realize like don't idolize people <laughs> um, uh. but you know so anyway i wanted to be a neurosurgeon so there was a path to get there and part of that path was going to an ivy league school part of getting into ivy league school there were like steps right like valedictorian you know do a bunch of clubs be an athlete. Like there was all these things that like I put into place that I knew would get me to where I needed to be. And luckily I wasn't forcing myself to do things I didn't want to do. I just was like, I love this and I love this and I love this and I love this. So let's do it all. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I come from an athletic family, so I ran track and everyone, you know, plays football in my, in my, in my um, family. And, um, you know, my, you know, so just all of those passions that I had that I loved, they were like, go for it. <laughs> um, and, and, and I did. And, and, um, so it's nice now having really explored all those things in my 39 years of life. Cause now, now that I am writing and creating stories and telling stories, I feel like I have a lot of life and a lot of experience and a lot of, um, passions to pull from, um, uh, in telling these stories and, and, and kind of infusing, um, life experiences that I've had into the, the lives that are in the worlds that I'm creating. Um, so it, it has been really fun, um, to have explored all that stuff and now get to kind of turn it inside out a little bit. Well, we'll get to your writing, but just to touch on this and something yeah. that even now I could probably take this advice on board because I'd like to think I'm trying to diversify my talents or my efforts. How do you not dilute it? Because you seem to be gifted at almost each of these. And I'm not just saying that to blow smoke. You are. You've done amazing at each of these. I don't know about your gymnastics. I've never seen you <laughs> you know, do any of that. So that, that's yet to be seen. But I'm sure you're awesome because I've seen your hands. Oh, you are good at it. Your handstands are wonderful. How do you, how many, there's only so many hours in a day, days in a week. How do you not dilute it? And just be a jack of all trades, master of none. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one important thing to remember is like I'm not kind of delving into all these things all in one day. Like it definitely has been through the right. course of a lifetime. It's you know, like I, I, I can't remember the last time I tumbled, but just because no need yeah, to. I, don't, I don't, you know, there was a point in my career where I was like, I'm not showing you that skill anymore because I don't want to do it eight times a week. Yeah, you just there's a time where you're like, I've done that. I've done it in plenty of shows. It's amazing. But at a, you know, Saturday matinee, am I going to feel like mm. doing, you know, back layout? Probably not, <laughs> not at 39. So I'm good. Um, but yeah, so I, th I think now what's so important is, is especially with the time that we have is creating schedules and the things that you do want to learn or the things you do want to improve, the things that you are really excited and passionate about make sure you schedule it in your day or schedule it in your week, you know, um, mm. to, to find time for it and also take the pressure off yourself for needing to be good at it. You know, it's, it, if, if, if the idea of every passion you have is to be good at it, then we're kind of, you're already diluting it in that way. And really it's just like, I love, you know, I'm passionate about tennis. I'm a terrible tennis player. And that's, you know, cool. Like, <laughs> that's totally fine. People always say, well, learn how to play. And I'm like, no, because I'm never going to be the Williams sisters. 
I can just like totally love the sport from the outside. Um, I guess your passion will drive you. You won't. Yeah. yeah when yeah, it's yeah. like when I look at my passions, I'm rarely thinking of the end game. I just yeah. think, how do I get better? And hopefully a career will help. Uh, I'll get a career that sustains it. But you just keep going, don't yeah. you? Yeah. But scheduling, yeah. that was important. We had this chat when we were checking in a few weeks ago. I was like, that makes sense. Because when you have all the time in the world, it's hard. You could lose, you know, you could just waste it. I remember someone yeah. said to me once, you want something yeah. done, give it to someone who's busy. <laughs> true. Yeah, it is it is so true. And, and you know, um, with this time that we have, a schedule is so important. And then, and I found having a schedule and actually having a cutoff time to end is really important because then you'll mm. find yourself just like working all day, every day, which is also not the point of what we're, what we're going through, I think. Um, so yeah, putting in the schedule, I'm always like, if it if it's not in my iCal, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> Even from just like little conversations with friends where they're like, oh, let's let's like do a lunch date tomorrow via Zoom. Like if I didn't put in my iCal, it's not gonna happen. Cause, so you're that specific with your schedule? Yeah, cause I just don't, I also don't wanna have to remember it. I don't right. wanna have to, re- like, I don't want to waste time and energy remembering the thing. I just want to open up the calendar in the morning and be like, all oh, right, that's what's happening. Cool. And that's probably <laughs> part of that perfectionist that you, you, you say is part of yeah. who you are. So you like, you like that order and then yeah. maybe have some chaos within that, but you need to have some structure. I do like the order. Yeah. And I will say one thing that the reason I don't feel like a, I, I'm not as crazy as I was in high school. One major reason and i'm so happy that i ended up going i ended up going to brown for college and if you anyone knows anything about brown of all the ivy league schools it's definitely the most liberal it's the most like loosey-goosey artsy-fartsy of all the ivy league schools um but it really taught me to relax (laughs) um which i needed there were some other others that i was you know like yale was really a close contender and i know that i would probably be a ridiculous ocd if i had gone to yale (laughs) um you know so uh i'm happy that i finally learned to relax and like not be take things too as seriously as i had been well that's true (laughs) because i've never known you to be anything other than fun just really good at what you're what you set your mind to you know (laughs) so you went to brown for psychology right i did yeah just tell me this so you were valedictorian Oh, in, in high school, yeah, 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 I was. Um, embarrassed yeah. to say, exactly what is that? I see it, I hear it all the time <laughs> on all the American shows, valedictorian. We never had that in Canada, oh, yeah. at least I don't think. Um, Maybe we did. Um, yeah, I mean, some school system. I mean, like, I'm sure you had, maybe you had, like, um, some places have, like, first boy or first girl. Some places have, like, um, or lead boy, lead girl head girl, head boy. Some places have, you know, summa cum laude and magna cum laude. Like they're all basically the same. Basically what usually happens in America is whoever Mm -hmm. has the like highest GPA in the school is a valedictorian. Some places have it where any students who have above a 4.0, you know, now with, with weighted grades, um, with AP classes and stuff, um, anyone over a 4.0 is a valedictorian. Then, like, they choose amongst the right. valedictorians who the one who speaks. So I didn't speak in mine. I was valid one of valid valedictorians, but I didn't. I wasn't the speaker. And I guess all your extracurricular activities play a part in that as well, right? No, it's totally based on oh. GPA. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's totally based on GPA. So um, at our school, you know, if you had above a 4.0, um, then you were valedictorian. And then, so you, you know, you could be, do nothing. And all you did was study and, you know, so Brown for psychology. And that was how many years? Three, three years. And that's what took you, you did psychology in like dance psychology. No, 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 no. I was like, like I was pre-med. I was going to medical school. (laughs) That was the, that was the next step. Um, and so, uh, my first year in New York, I was doing psych research on That's male right. dancers. Um, and uh, part of the research was going to auditions. I went to an audition um, <clears throat> for Michael Jackson, ended up getting the job, um, dancing with Michael Jackson. 
and giving them like I didn't do the I never did the research because I was dancing with Michael Jackson. <laughs> okay, that, that was a quick uh, truncated uh, story. I want to unpack that a bit. <laughs> you went to the audition for what reason? To think was that part of your studies, or you just thought? Yeah. So my yeah. So the research I was doing is um, based on it's called the Adonis Complex. Based on it was the first comprehensive study done on on male body image, um, dysmorphia, anorexia, bulimia. And it was done by a professor at Brown and a professor at Harvard. <clears throat> they wrote a book called The Adonis Complex. And the book is amazing. The cross-section of men that they researched was amazing. And I actually felt like there could have been more on male mm. dancers because male dancers grow up staring at themselves in the mirror. So they have to have some level of body dysmorphia. So I wanted to like add to the study by studying male dancers. And so part of the study was emerging myself in the world of the male dancer and also interviewing them as subjects. And so, so that's why I went, so that's why it was part of the, part of the research. And you just thought, well, I'll go yeah. to the audition, see what everyone goes through. Yeah. And so I, I could dance. So I was like, well, I can be inside the thing and I, you know, and you know, so I was there and it was my first. So you were hoping to get the job um, to then I, coincide I with what you learned. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, because that's not why I was, I, you know, I was there to, because I knew literally like hundreds, if not thousands of men audition, like the line was wrapped around. It was for Michael Jackson. Wow. And it was back in the time where people lined up for auditions, you know, I remember Madonna had also been auditioning for her tour at the, around the same time. It was like people were running back and forth from her. Anyway, um, so, and I didn't know anyone. I was, you know, I wasn't in the dance world. I was coming from college, you know, academic. So it was a great way for me to kind of like infiltrate the world from the inside to meet these people organically and not just be like, hey, I'm a researcher, like trying to research you. Do you think your body looks bad? You know, like. <laughs> um, I like the little dance you just threw and you look like a Sims character. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, so that's why. And it just, and I think part of what was happening is because I wasn't there for the job, I wasn't, there was no pressure. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like I showed up with like a, a white tank top on and some sweatpants and a, a, a like, a terrible resume that I made up that looked like a business resume, a headshot that I cropped myself out of. It was a picture of me and my parents, like on the beach. I'm like hanging over a tree. I look like a koala, like, you know, I put like Photoshop my name on it and, ma and made it sepia tone of all things, sepia tone, not even black and white. Um, yes. And, you know, the first cut was tumbling. We just talked about this. So I could tumble. I was like, well, I can tumble. So I just tumbled. And the choreographer was like, can you dance? And yeah, I can dance. He said, okay, well, don't, you know, skip the open call. Come back later to the agency call. I was like, great. So now I'm like going through the rounds of the day and I keep getting kept, keep getting kept. And I, again, because I think I'm just like doing the thing. And at the end of the day, the two choreographers were like, um, hey, James, come here. Um, so you're clearly new to the city. <laughs> <laughs> what well, gave that yeah, away? They're like, this is what a headshot looks like. And they like hold up a headshot. This is what a resume looks like. It's like three columns. Like, you know, this is what you do. Um, and what are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, look around. Uh, look around. They're like, yeah, they, everyone looks like they're going to the club or that they're in the, in the video already you look like you're going to the gym. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. I was coming to dance. <laughs> They're like, well, tomorrow when you come to the callback, come like you're, you know, you book the job and you're in the video, you're at the club. I was like, okay. Um, you know, and so every, after every, this is like a week long audition. After every night I'd come home, like call my parents and be like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm still here. They're like, oh, you know, the first day of my mom yeah. was like, oh, that's sweet, baby. At least you're having a great time. Are you like meeting the people you need, you know? And then the final callback was at midnight. And they told us that either Michael would be in the room or they would like video him in or something. And we had like danced. And by the end of it, you know, they had like 
the guys that were left standing in a line, like in height order, and all of our headshots were on the table. And they went down the row and were like, thank you, please stay. Thank you, please stay. Thank you, please stay. And the people who said, they said, thank you, to just like walked out of the room. And so then there were, you know, the guys left standing and they were like, welcome to the Michael Jackson, like 30th. And it was, I mean, like what? Like, I don't even, I still to this day, sometimes thinking back to this story of like, what what just happened <laughs> this wasn't what was supposed to happen but you know here here i am literally 19 years later so then so we toured. did so it ended up being this thing where it was a huge celebration of his 30th anniversary as like an artist and whatever that was ending with a huge concert like weekend of concert at madison square gardens where the first half of the concert were the biggest pop stars of the time celebrating him doing like their versions of his songs. And then the second half of the concert was Michael saying, thank you performing like the other songs. So initially we were hired to be Michael's dancers, just Michael's dancers. And then, and then we ended up also dancing with the artists as well, because whoever the, not whoever the producers, I know who the producers are. We don't need to say their names. The producers were like, we'll save lots of money if we just have the same group of dancers dance for everyone. So, you know, we did the opening number. Some of us like dancer Destiny's Child and like Missy. And, you know, it was, it was, so it was just like a, and it ended up being televised on CBS. And so that was kind of, that was the whole summer of like dancing with Michael. <laughs> wow. What a first gig. Yeah. It's crazy. It was did really, you have really much, crazy. Did you have much interaction, like working with Michael creatively? Yeah. He was, the- you know, any of the, any of his, of his, you know, like the mate, you know, like beat it. Like he was in the room. We would learn the number. We would learn it. And, you know, for a few days and then he would come in and perfect it and like be there and we'd block it with him. And he, you know, he would give t- like, you know, the, you know, wow. tips and thing. It was, you know, when he was in the room with us, he was in the room with us. It was, there was no pretense. There was no walls up, you know, nothing. It was, it was just us and him. And, and, you know, it was really cool. Really cool. Was it pretty special watching him create in the room and do his thing? Yeah, it was, especially, you know, it, a a question I get, I get asked a lot is like, was it weird? Was he weird? And I have to say he was not, he was the, the people around him made it weird. And the fact that if we were in a recording studio with him, no one else could be in the studio around him. Like one day Aretha Franklin got kicked out of the studio. She was like in another studio recording. So like there were weird things like that, that would happen. Um, uh, But yeah, to see this man who is, you know, arguably the biggest pop star ever, um, whose music has completely inspired and influenced everything. Um, it was incredible. And I was 20 years old. <laughs> so then what then? And going back to the audition, and I'm sure your talent, like I said, there is something about you when you walk into a room. But had you not had such a shitty <laughs> photo resume, obviously mm. look new, do you think that played a part? Do you think that drew at least attention to you, whether it was good or bad initially, but then the talent then superseded that? Um, you know, I, I think I think mm-hmm. being a new face definitely played into it. Um, you know, the dance world is, especially the commercial dance world, is really small. It's kind of right. small. And the people that work, you know, are in similar circles. Um, and so being a new face that's like showing up, especially when I imagine at that point, now knowing the system, um, you know, the choreographers had an idea of who they were going to hire anyway. Right. Um, and, and also the reality is that it's a physical art form. Right. And so um, I, I, like, I'm a six, one guy, like I'm a six, one black man <laughs> who I don't, you know, I'm, I was in the, I was coming off of like being in peak shape of track. So, you know, like it, it just, it just is one of those things that if you're standing a line of guys up who are all in their early twenties, um, yeah. who have, will be on TV dancing behind Michael Jackson. Um, you know, there's just a, <laughs> there's a thing, <laughs> right. And so, um, 
And that's a part of what we do that I think we have to be realistic about and aware of. And so honestly, I think it just was that. And then once you start teaching choreography, if I'm, you know, hitting it with the, with the, with the other guys that they know, then it's, you know, it, it helped. And there's a, my friend Manway, who we ended up dancing a lot together in that time period for different artists. He and I are like the same exact height. We mm -hmm. like complement each other in terms of our abilities. Um, he's, he's like probably like the, the dark skin version of me if, if, or whatever. Um, and so we ended up being, we would be bookends in almost every job we did together. So we got hired a lot together. They would always be like Manway and James, Manway, Manway and James got it. Um, and, and so Manway, we danced together and it's Michael. And so, you know, that's just one of those things that, um, kind of happened. Yeah. So that's your summer. And at yeah. this point now, I guess natural crossroads to, you know, which way to go. No. So, yeah. So, and then, so two of the dancers that were with, uh, with us for Michael had been, had taken a leave of absence from Lion King. Um, and towards the end of our time with Michael, they were like, can you sing? He's like, yeah, I can sing. I, you know, grew up kind of like singing and like, whatever. And they were like, <clears throat> Oh, Lion King's having a huge audition for their first national tour. Like they're taking out a first national tour for the first time ever. Um, you'd probably get it. Our last show at Madison Square Gardens was September 10th. September 11th happened the next morning. We were in the city for it. It's like crazy. My parents were in the city because they were at the concert. So they, you know, like whisked me away and we got out of the city. Um, wow. And two days later, September 13th, Lion King still had this open call for um, the first national tour. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was like, well, like they still plan on having it. So I went. Um, and in many ways, it kind of was a similar story in that I didn't need the job. I just, they just said that I thought they thought I'd get it. And I was <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so I went in and auditioned and, you know, it was like a week or so of auditions and callbacks and, um, you know, and, and, and I think it was just a, a series of things that played in my favor. The first cut of the audition is this kind of super technical dance cut that all happens to be on the left side, which is most people's bad side, but it happens to be my really good side. And so, right. you know, so then it's like, well, that's all they're looking for in this cut is like technique. So, um, you know, and it just, I think it just all kind of played in my favor. Um, and, you know, next thing I knew, I was just, you know, dance captain of Lion King and understanding Simba. <laughs> so, and so that was my first um, show. And then, then from the, when I, once I got that, then I knew that I wasn't going to go to medical school and, and like psychology would just be something I'd use to keep me sane in the middle of auditions. <laughs> and you were enjoying it. Like you were having a yeah. good time. And that's such a key takeaway from all this is yes, to have the preparation, the training technique, the talent, the, the confidence, but you just got to go in with that carefree attitude. I don't care yeah. at what level you are. Cause we can, we yeah. are our worst enemies when it comes to putting it on the line. And it's always the audition. Once you get to rehearsals, you're almost like yeah. a different person before it, you're a different person. Well, at least it seems that way. And it's like, totally be the guy in rehearsals in the audition yeah. and just be there, be malleable, take on notes, take on direction, give them something yeah. that they haven't perhaps seen and just be brave and have fun. And I think if, I think that's what makes people, because they want to know they can work with you. Then do they have the talent to back it or are they, are they the guy or person for this job? Cause sometimes it's out of our hands. Yeah. And, yeah. Cause, and, and I think that that, that can be a, a lesson and it's true for any, any field, whether you're interviewing or whether you're auditioning, you really need to bring you into the room. You need to bring that person into the room because at the end of the day, they're working with the person, you know? So if they're putting up a musical, they're, you know, they're a, a play, whether they're, you know, interviewing you for a job, they have to continue to work with this person. And it's important for them to know the person that they're going to be working with, the person that they're trusting this multi-million dollar, you know, property to. Um, and, and it's important to show that in the audition. 
lots of hundreds of people graduate every year from conservatories who can sing an A, who can sing a B, who can get the leg up, who can, you know, do the monologue, whatever, like all those things can be taught and can be, and can be trained and can be rehearsed. The thing that we, you need to see immediately is the person that you're going to have to spend hours and hours and hours with. And so if you just enter the room as yourself, um, you're already kind of a step ahead of the other people in the room just because they're coming in. I always say this, they're coming in with a, a jewel tone button down from express men and a pair of khaki pants because that's what they learned at their conservatory and they all look like clones, but like nobody wants that. <laughs> I got a, a TV job that I, I've done. I did. And I remember in, I prepped my stuff. You went in, the director gave me notes. And I remember thinking at a time, that's some crazy ass notes. What, is he, <laughs> what does that even mean? And that, but I thought, oh, he's, you always give, I want to always give people the power of their position, right? Yeah. Director. I'm not the director. Okay. If that's what you want. So I did it thinking, man, if I get this and I don't want to play it like this, <laughs> you know, I got it. we're having drinks yeah. in uh, Morocco. And I said, what were some of those uh, directions you gave me? He goes, oh, they're red herrings. I just want to make sure you, I'm not going to get to the mountain and you're not going to take notes. I was like, oh, he goes, yeah, I just, I'll always throw a weird ass direction out in the room just to see are you going to adapt i love that i that's that's so great and i i wish more people um you know obviously that was not necessarily something i learned on that first audition mm-hmm. but it is something that i will, will always say to young actors and dancers and singers auditioning is like walk in the room and be yeah. yourself yeah and you i mean it'll just make it'll also make you feel better and you can be, give them the best version of you. Not the, like, not the nervous version, not the version that you rehearsed over and over and over and over again. Like use that, use that audition as an, as another day to work, another day to play, not like another day to do the like golden take you had in your kitchen when you were rehearsing it. (laughs) And let it be known. I still need to remind myself of this advice, you know, yeah. Because you put these pressures on you. And, and for me, like once I had kids and mortgages yeah. and stuff, you you, totally. you carry that baggage in. You can't. You got to put that aside. You know, remember why yeah. you wanted to do this. So where did you, you got really, uh, you became quite the Broadway fashion guru. You started developing things. You, you were my style. Anytime I was in New York, even up until the album, I was like, James, can you style us? Can you style me? That was always a passion of yours anyways, right? Where did FIT come into it? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I my early on in life, my grandmother taught me how to sew. And actually, my grandfather, my dad's side, also knew how to sew. Um, so, that was something I could do. And I, I learned how to knit, like, in a tech rehearsal for Little Mermaid. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I ended up we were doing our out of town tryout of Priscilla mm-hmm. in Toronto. And I like, you know, anyway, I had this idea to make something for um, my partner at the time for his mom. And I ended up finding myself at a, a, a furry buying very expensive black Fox fur, and then going on YouTube to learn how to make a Fox stole and then making these two fox stoles three fox stoles and then having them being like oh i should take pictures of them because they're amazing i was gonna give one to his mom one to my mom and then i was like well i can't just take pictures of girls in a stole like they have to be wearing something so then i sketched some dresses that would go with the stoles and i had like I built these sketches off of characters I had in my head. One of them was Cruella DeVille. One of them was um, Christina Hendricks from Mad Men. Anyway, so I drew, you know, created these, designed these dresses, taught, bought a dress form, bought a sewing machine, taught myself how to drape on YouTube and made these three dresses and ended up shooting them on these two actresses that were in Priscilla. And I like loved them. What you made them from scratch, like, Everything to dress. From like with my bare hands and a sewing machine. And it was like, there were two, two dresses and one kind of separate. So it was like a, a blouse and all leather and silk. Like, of course I pick two of the hardest fabrics to use. 
anyway, so I found this awesome photographer in Toronto. He shot these amazing pictures of these two women in these clothes. Um, and instantly I was like, oh my God, I love, I love telling stories through fashion. And I felt more like that's what I really wanted to do was tell stories through fashion as opposed to be a fashion designer. Um, but anyway, so when we got back, I found out that FIT, you could take kind of create your own program through FIT. Um, so I was like, well, I should learn the industry standards of sewing and the industry standards of draping and pattern making and in illustration. So I took a ton of classes there to learn all those things. And that's really where the love grew. People eventually were like, can you design me a dress? Can you design, you know, for opening night or for the Tonys. So now I was like designing stuff for women for opening nights for Tonys. And then while I was doing ghost, one of our producers had this idea of basically starting creating the vanity fair of Broadway. Um, and so four of us sat down and created what was then Broadway style guide. Um, yeah. And so that, that was, and so basically that was kind of the, the beginnings. I was a creative director and fashion editor of Broadway style guide. Um, you were the one of the first people we shot. We shot you, you and Sierra were and, uh, uh, Lena Hall. Um, anyway. And so from then on, it just, you know, people, would reach out for to have me style them, you know, again, for the Tonys, for opening nights, for, you know, press award, you know, award season press stuff. Um, and that was really like a good kind of five years of, of, of my life. And, um, but again, it was really important to me to kind of do, to uh, approach all of that work from like a character building storytelling um perspective um and really kind of under you know even the even the shoots that i would create a direct artistic direct for for broadway style guide i always wanted to be like what is the story we're telling how are we how are we um highlighting these actors in a way that the other uh platforms don't you know so now during COVID, post-COVID, you've made the choice to now you're going to head out to LA? Yeah. So um, I had always... You're writing tons. Yeah, I've been writing. I've been writing, really writing and, and studying and taking, you know, in school for writing for the last year or so. Um, and it was always kind of the plan to go after my contract was up with Harry Potter. Um, and so this the last five months that we've had of being off-Broadway... Um, you know, it, I've really taken that time, that time that I've never had in my career to just create. And, um, you know, I write every day. I've gotten really <laughs> heavy into TikTok. I've now, I see. if I might say quite TikTok famous. Um, are you, I, I'm getting there. I mean, I have like over 150,000 followers and Good for you. you know, it's, it's, it's been fun, but but the approach has been again storytelling and just um, really creating a brand, both on social media and in practice of telling stories and being a writer and um, really wanting to use the diverse perspective that I've had in my life to tell stories about um, what I liked and want to do is telling telling stories about Black people who do great things in the world we live in, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. just telling black stories. So black stories are great that they exist. It's great that Tyler Perry exists, right? It's great that BET exists. But what it also does is continues to allow for there to be an us and a them mentality. Right. So you can bet that the majority of the audience watching BET is black, not white, <laughs> right? Um, but we are in the world that we live in right now, the Black Lives Matter world, um, because of this separation. And what is important now is to show that we are all people, that we all have universal love and hate and mistakes and triumphs and we all you know 
in cliche as it is, bleed the same. And so to me, it's important to tell stories, integrated stories, to tell stories where, yes, there's a black lead living in the world that we live in. I don't live in a world, I don't actually live in a world where I only surround myself with black people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are people that do, but that's not my world. And it's not the world that we want to see in our future. Otherwise, we would have stayed with, stuck with segregation. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's really important for me to, 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 have the, to tell those kinds of stories um, that, uh, that really um, acknowledge the world that we live in and the world that we want to see. I think that's beautiful. And I think those are stories we all need to hear and should all participate in because, like you say, it's universal, or at least it should be. Yeah, we will we will get there, but it's it, and it it won't happen overnight, and it won't happen without um, adversity and without some ups and downs. It's going to take some time, but we are seeing the needle move a bit, and I think we are starting to get smarter in in the approach and in what you know, and that to make these changes, the minute a lot of them have to happen in our education system. They have to happen on a a policy level, a lawmaking level. Um, and so uh, they actually can't happen on an emotional level. You know, if you, if you, if you grow up in a school and all you know are faces who look like you and whether that's white or black, if you grow up in a school in a town where all you know are people that look like you, then we have to understand what is shaping our viewpoint of the other of the others, you know? So it's the media. So we have to change what the media is presenting. It's entertainment. We have to change what entertainment is presenting, you know? And then it's what we see in school, what, how we're learning, how are, how are teachers teaching about civil rights movement? How are they teaching about slavery? How are they teaching about the Holocaust? You know, and so all those things are what, are shaping those minds. And again, it's on both sides. It's the same way that, you know, a a black kid growing up in an all black area, he, the way his viewpoint is shaped about white people is going to be based on those things. I love you, man. Two quick questions before I let you go. What made you smile yesterday? What made me smile yesterday? Ooh, that's such a, that's a really good question. Um, uh spending actually spending time my dad and i like sat we have this like tradition from like eight to ten where we sit and watch some movie or some tv show we're mm-hmm. binging and right now or yesterday we wa- sat and watched hannah and we just kind of sat and we're cracking jokes for two and a half hours um so that fabulous made me smile yesterday yeah my dad's awesome and this has been so much fun he seems very cool. I love watching him. I, I think it's uh, equal viewing, viewing between you and him and your Instagram stories. Ah. Um, and last question. What's the first happy childhood memory that pops in your head? <laughs> this is actually a funny one for this to pop in my head because it's equal parts happy and equal parts. I hated it at the time. <laughs> so we had this tradition and it kind of ended with my generation. But there was a long history in my family tradition in my family of all the generations leading up to mine where we would go down i have this aunt who had this huge farm down in suffolk virginia and all of the kids during the summer would go spend a week to like several weeks with aunt edna down at her farm and the farm is was passed down in our family it used to be a plantation that like literally our family were slaves on and the slave owner, when slave, when the slaves were freed, the slave owner parceled out some of his land and gave it to some of his slaves. And so this land was like land that was given from the slave master to my family. Um, and it, it was a, a, a peanut farm that um, supplied peanuts for planters peanut. Anyway, so we would go to this farm and the reason why I say it was equal parts, like happy memories and equal parts is like, we were all city kids or like not farm kids and we hate, and she was really strict and would like make us eat lima beans. And if we got in trouble, she'd make us go pull the switch 
<laughs> off the tree that she was going to then beat us with. A switch. Off the tree. Um, you know, like, we eat, like, liver. But then it's also fond memories that when we were all together, we, like, laugh about them. We did stupid stuff. We, she had a pool that, like, we swam in every day. And we also, like, look back and they were like, there wasn't even any chlorine in that pool. So it's probably disgusting. <laughs> I got a mothball stuck in my nose once. I got my head stuck in a banister once. Um you know, so please tell me you're writing about this. <laughs> I should, <laughs> but yeah, that is a you know, yeah, that's a really fun early childhood memory. And how do you want people to keep in touch with you? Instagram, you are Instagram. I'm at James Brown a third, easy breezy. Twitter, Twitter at the JB three or JB like JB the third. It's you can find it with James Brown a third. Um, famous TikTok, TikTok at JB three, JB I I I, easy to find. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm actually pretty responsive on DMs and stuff. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So we can slide into your DMs. You can slide in my DMs. Like, don't be crazy. <laughs> don't be, people are crazy. Don't be crazy, people. Yes. <laughs> and then jamesbrownii.com. That's true. Brother, you continue to inspire me. You make me want to be better at many things. But I'm so glad you're my friend. I'm so glad you're my friend. Also, I was I watched your Being Alive video, and I'm obsessed with it. Oh, thanks, brother. I miss you. I can't wait to be in the same city with you again and do our workouts, and you put me to shame, but every time, I'm better for it. <laughs> Love you, Jim. Love you. Love you, man. Thanks for the hang. Thank you. Thanks for hanging with myself and James Brown III. Like I said, folks, he is truly an inspiring guy with a ton of accolades, all stemming from hard work, perseverance, and dedication. There's a lot to be taken from this. Thanks for hanging, folks. Take care. The Hang is produced by Dory Berestein and Alan Seals from the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find me online at bpn.fm forward slash The Hang. Don't forget, you can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Ramin Karamlu, on YouTube a roaming Iranian, or my Facebook page, Official Ramin Karamlu. Music for my podcast is by my friends in one of my favorite bands, The Dives. Please check them out at their website, thedivesmusic.com. That's thedivesmusic.com, where you can get to know them, hear their incredible music, get links to all their socials, and most importantly, their tour dates, where you can find out where you can see and hear them live. They are truly a great band, and they are phenomenal live. Check them out. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.